Amen. Praise God. We are so glad that you're here. It's exciting. Uh, I'm so glad to see Paxton, one of our interns from CFNI, is back in the house. Reminds me that college is beginning for many of our students at, at CFNI, SAGU, ORU, um, uh, all of our students that are all over. We want to continue to pray for them as we move forward. You know, before I preach, um, I'm going to be preaching and continuing the message that I started last week. But how many of you have been studying the Word of God this last couple of weeks? Have you been reading and studying and getting into the Word of God? I tell you, um, I ordered a few more of the journaling Bibles. And so if you would like one of those, they should be here according to the tracker. They should be here by Wednesday. So maybe Wednesday night or by next Sunday we'll have them. And we ordered a few more of those. If you don't have a journaling Bible, uh, I would encourage you to grab one. Go to the store, order it from online, or like I said, we'll have a few here um, and the proceeds will go to the Spain trip. But, but I, I just tell you, there's been some richness that I've been finding in the Word of God. And we've been sitting down, uh, we've been doing our best to, to have, one of my goals was to have at least five nights of devotions with our kids. And I tell you, the first week, can I tell you, it was easy. Can I tell you, it was easy. We were just like sitting down, everybody was talking, everybody had their Bibles out, they were highlighting, they were doing all that. And then can I tell you, the next week, this past week, it was tough. And can I tell you why it was tough? Because we went back to school. Because... Schedule happened, right? The normal parts of life began to happen. We begin to get back into some of our old routines and some of our old, can I just say it, ruts. And so we've had to fight to have this time with each other. And can I tell you, it hasn't always been perfect. It hasn't been like that first week where everybody comes at the same time and sits down and opens their Bible. You know, this one's been over here and this one's been doing this. And, and so, you know, sometimes I've, uh, we've had to do it with the younger kids first and then with the older kids later. But you know what? We're going for it. Can I encourage you, whatever goals you felt like the Lord set on your heart that first week, a couple of weeks ago, don't stop now. Mm, That was powerful. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, don't stop now. Just because there's an obstacle in your way, we don't give up. That's good preaching, Pastor. Amen. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what, I mean, come on, the world has ain't no mountain high enough, right? I mean, I think that should be a Christian song, quite honestly. Some of you are looking at me like I have no idea what you're talking about. Some of you are like thinking of the song right now. Ain't no mountain high enough, right? Ain't no valley low enough. I mean, I'm going to get to you, Jesus. Amen? That's the, way, that's, the, that's the way the lyrics should go. I'm going to get to Jesus. Jesus, the goals that you and I have set, you have enough power and enough authority to do it. And God, I'm yielded enough for you to do it in me and through me. Amen? We're partnering with God towards the goals and the dreams that we have set. Some of you I know are like me. Some of those goals haven't even begun yet, but begin them. Go for it. Get after it and see what God will do. Well, several things have come up, and even just in our study, and uh, uh, I was studying with one of my kids earlier this week, and we were just going through Matthew chapter 10. And I just love this. It says, He called His 12 disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then He gives the names of the, the apostles. 
Then it says, verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. How many of you know later on he gave them instructions to do that? But for now, he was saying, okay, this is what we got to do first. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 7, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely you have received. Freely give. What was he telling his apostles? He said, go do the miraculous. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. We have reduced Christianity to a mind-belief system. And that was never how Jesus designed it. Hello? Anybody ever heard of John Wimber? Wave your hand if you ever heard of John Wimber. Anybody ever heard of the Vineyard Church? Wave your hand if you heard of the Vineyard Church. John Wimber started the Vineyard Church, I believe, was during the Jesus movies in, uh, movement in the 60s, 70s. And when John Wimber got saved, he got radically transformed by the power of God. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he was going to these churches, and, and, and I, I can't remember the church he was going to when he started and when he got saved, but he was going to a church that, you know, a church that, preach the word but they didn't necessarily live out the word and he began to read in his own study and he was taking this seriously about studying the word of God and doing what they told him to do and he started reading through the gospels and one day he went to his pastor and he said these words he said pastor man I love reading the word I love coming to church I love worship but when do we get to do the stuff John Wimber quote when do we get to do the stuff and the pastor looked at him and said, what stuff? He said, you know, that stuff that I'm reading about. He said, what stuff, John? He said, well, I'm reading in the Bible where Jesus said, go and drive out the evil spirits, heal every disease. He said, raise the dead. He said, heal the sick. He said, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. When do we get to do the stuff? John Wimber's gone to be with the Lord now. But can I tell you, this is my same heart cry. When do we get to do the stuff? When do we get to do the stuff? I'm telling you, we get to do the stuff when we realize the authority we have in Jesus. Ooh, it's so quiet in this great cathedral today. He says he called them and he gave them authority. Do you believe you're called by Jesus Christ? It's, it's not a rhetorical question. You need to answer it. Do you believe you're called by Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he saved you? He put you on a rock that is higher than you. Do you believe that, that he called you out of darkness into his wonderful life? Do you believe that? Can I hear a response? Do you believe that he called you out of darkness into his wonderful lights? Amen, I believe it too. Then guess what? He's also given you authority. He called you, and then he gave you authority. Can I tell you, this kind of authority you can't earn. You can't earn it. 
You can't do enough good deeds. You can't, you know, say enough prayers. You can't crawl over rocks. You can't earn this kind of authority. This kind of authority is given. It's given. He said he called them and then he gave them authority. Can I challenge you in 2019? Can we make it our prayer? God, we want to do the stuff. Come on, just close your eyes right now. Say, God, I want to do the stuff. I want to do the stuff that's in your word. I want to heal the sick. I want to raise the dead. I want to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here. God, I want to proclaim to the sick that they can be healed. God, I want to, I want to see the brokenhearted healed in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that you designed your church to do these things in your authority, in your grace, and in your love. So God, I'm just asking you, I don't even know how to set a goal for it. God, I just want to begin to do the stuff. The stuff of the kingdom. God, if your disciples who are a ragtag bunch of people were able to do it, God, I know that because you called me, because you've anointed me, because you've given me authority, God, I can do it. I can do it in Jesus' name. Can I tell you what I was thinking earlier this week? I was driving somewhere, I think it was on Friday, between my house and the church. I was alone. I was reading. I wasn't reading while I was driving, but I was listening to the Scripture over the Bible app. And I was just thinking about some of these things. And I thought about when I was a youth pastor. I thought about how that, and when I was a youth pastor, I used to go in and I used to challenge our students. I used to say, you know what? You have authority in Jesus' name to walk onto your high school, your junior high campus, and make a difference. God has designed you to make a difference. And can I tell you, I'm not saying that all of those students, over the years, over 17 years, we served hundreds of students. I'm not saying all of them got it. But can I tell you, some of them got it. Some of them grasped it. Some of them realized, hey, I may never be on a large stage, but I've got a platform that God has given me, and I can go and I can minister to students. Here's what I found over the years. I found that as I grew older and as I knew some of these students from junior high and high school and as they got to college and then as, in, as they got married and they started having children, they started getting careers, I noticed this transformation over those years. And I noticed something that some of them stopped believing what they believed in high school. And I'm not talking about basic beliefs. Many of them were good Christian people went to, went to uh, church and became even leaders in their church. Some of the students I taught early years are now deacons in churches and pastors and missionaries and doing things. But I'm not talking about, I'm talking about some of them just stopped believing that they could do what Jesus said. And part of that, let's be honest, you get into work. I mean, when you're at school, you know, yeah, you're there for class and you're there for that kind of stuff. Anybody remember that? Well, some of you remember being there for class. Some of you remember being there for the friends, right? I understand that. But, but you, had this kind of, you had this kind of opportunity. We tell young people this all the time, that there is never, probably never going to be another opportunity where you're going to be with as many diverse backgrounds, with as many 
ethnicities with as many thought processes and belief systems as you will be as you are in high school. Now, I'm not talking about homeschoolers, obviously. (laughs) But those that are in public or private schools, you're going to be around a lot of people, and a lot of those young people are open because they're trying to figure out what they believe. And so we would train these young people to go into the high schools, what I believe is still one of the greatest mission fields of our day, and go in and minister to them. One-on-one, in groups, things like that. Let me give you an example. I was at Southlake earlier this week. Uh, in the, in, actually, I've been there a couple of times. But I was in the town center getting a new registration for Emily's car before she left for ORU on Monday. And as my number got called... I went up to the desk, began to talk to the lady, the young lady, and she looked at me and she said, are you Nick's dad? I said, "Um, yeah, I have a son named Nick. And she said, I thought so. I said, who are you? (laughs) And she said, I went to high school with Nicholas. And she said, "He, he might or might know my name. I said, okay, cool, I'll tell him. You said, hello. She said, great. I said, I said, were y'all close friends? She said, not really. She said, but I went to that group of his. I said, oh, Youth Alive. And she said, yeah, that's it. She said, I went several times. It was really cool. It really touched my life. I said, that's great. She said, what's he doing now? I said, actually, he's now doing those groups all over North Texas. I said, he's doing this as a missionary, as a full-time job and going and helping students get these classes and get these groups started. She said, that's awesome. Okay, you have to understand, for those of you who don't know, um, Nick went to Byron Nelson High School over in Roanoke. Now, I know it's not that far. But here a young lady is in a tax assessor's office in Southlake. And when my number gets called up among eight other people that are sitting behind desks, It happens to be this particular young lady. Hello? Coincidence? I I don't believe in coincidence. What am I trying to say? God touched that young woman's heart three, four, five years ago when Nick was doing Youth Alive. And she remembers it to this day. So what, what is my message here? Let's all go back to high school? No. Let's do more high school ministry? Yes. Let's encourage our youth pastor to be able to do that? Yes. Let's resource him and provide him the resources to do that? Yes. But that's not the message. The message is, have we given up believing that God can do greater things in and through us just because we're in a different life situation. Well, now I'm married. I got kids. I got my schedule. You know, I don't see that many people. You're right. High school was a big mishmash of people, of unsafe people, and now I don't, I don't have that. You know, the only time I see that many people is when I go to Walmart, right? <laughs> on, on, on Black Friday, right? That's, that's it. Nobody's interested in talking about Jesus. Can I tell you, you can make a difference right where you are. God has given you authority. And sometimes it might be when you're at the tax assessor's office getting a registration sticker. Sometimes it might be when you're standing in line at the DMV to get your 
passport or to get your driver's license changed. Sometimes it might be when you're at Kroger and standing in line and the checker, you can just tell there's something off about that checker. Not by, not by view, not by their outward appearance, but you can just tell. Hello? Anybody with me? Have you ever looked at somebody that you didn't know and thought, something's not right? Can I tell you what that is? You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. But why have we been called? It's not only for our own good, though He loves that we're His child. He's calling us, but He's also calling us to do something with that light. As we discussed Wednesday night in our class, as we were going through some scriptures, he's called us not to have the basket on our head and hide the light. He's called us to take off the basket. He's not called us to to keep the salt in the salt shaker. He's called us to be the salt of the world, which means we got to be turned upside down sometimes. And even in that place of being turned upside down and being shaken a little bit, we're spreading the salt of Jesus all around. Can you, just, can you just hear what the Spirit is saying? Because this is not my message. I don't even know if I'll get to it. But here is the message I believe the Holy Spirit is saying. Do you believe that I have called you? Do you believe that I have anointed you? Do you believe that I have given you authority? In Jesus' name, you have authority. Look at your neighbor right now again and say, you have authority in Jesus. Come on, say it like you've got authority. Say, you've got authority in Jesus' name. What do we have authority to do? We have the same authority that the disciples had because we have the same Jesus. And here's something that's even better. They had Jesus, but He was right here physically with them. Later, He would be in them through His precious Holy Spirit. Here's the beauty of it. When he was sending them out, it was still in a physical form. Now, we've got him in. He goes everywhere with you. He's not going to be crucified again. Hallelujah. He's not going to be separated again from us. Never separate. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is everywhere you go. And if I could say anything, it is this. It is let's begin to say to God, God, I recognize I'm called. I recognize that I have authority, even though I don't always feel it. But I know that I have it. So God, I want to use it. I want to use it in my own family, with my own kids, with my own grandkids, with my, my, my nieces and nephews, with my brothers and sisters, with my parents, whatever. I want to let your authority flow through me in every opportunity. God, I want it to flow at the workplace. God, where I, where I work, God, I, I don't just want to go to work and receive a paycheck. I know you've placed me in this job for a reason and a purpose. And it's not just to bless my family, though I appreciate that, God. I know you've put me there to be salt and you've put me there to be light. And then say to him, God, not only there, not only in my workplace, not only in my family, but also the community I live in. Come on, we live all over the place. In this room, we live from Irving to Colleyville to Hearst to Keller to Roanoke to Hazlitt. We live all over the place. I recognize that. And I could either go, oh man, we live so far apart. Or I could say, God, you've spread us out. You didn't get it. 
Oh, God, we live so far apart. Or, God, you've spread us out. You've spread us out to be salt in this earth, in this community, in DFW. Listen, I don't believe that Paxton is in Dallas at CFNI just so that he can learn something. That's, that's it, right? He went there to learn, but this guy's a smart guy. You talk to him for a few minutes, you'll find out. He knows a thing or two. You talk to him a little longer, maybe he doesn't know everything, but he knows, he knows a lot. He's a really smart kid. But you know what? God has placed Paxton in a spirit-filled Christian school to be salt and light. Anybody ever been over to CF&I? If you've been there, you're like, why is this school right here? This is not exactly, you know, the nicest part of Dallas, right? This is not, ex- I mean, you know, they, they encourage students to be salt and light, but do it before 10 p.m., right? Be in. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, that's a little bit of a joke, but not completely, right? It's like, they're not in the best area of town, and they could say, oh, man, we got we to gotta get this college to a better area of town so we can get more students and blah, blah, blah. Or they can say, you know what? We've got students coming from all over, and they could be salt and light in the middle of Dallas. That's one of the reasons Paxton is there. You wonder why God's shifting you and changing you to a new job? It's not just so that your family can be blessed. It's so that you can be salt and light where you're at. You know what, basically, I've just preached the last point of my message without even knowing it. (laughs) Anybody here today? Come on. So, you know what, Holy Spirit, I just feel like we're about to go into a time of prayer. I don't even know if I can get this thing to work. So, maybe I can't. So here's the thing. Joseph had a coat of many colors. Somebody told me, and I'm not going to say who. I was going to say I don't want to embarrass them. I don't think it would embarrass them. I think it's just where they were. They said until they began this year reading the Bible, and they've been a Christian for several years. They've been raised in church most of their life. They said until he started reading the Bible this last few months, and really going over the Old Testament. He said he thought that Joseph was the guy with the coat of many colors, but he said he knew nothing else about him. Weren't you surprised the first time that basically one-fourth of Genesis is dealing with Joseph? About ten chapters deal with Joseph's life alone. Wow. I think that that means that maybe we should pay attention to Joseph's life. But I want you to remember, I want you to remember that Joseph was thrown in a pit. He was thrown into prison. And then he went into the palace. Amen? He was thrown in a pit. He lived time in prison. And then he went to the palace. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 45. Guys, I don't know if you'll be able to follow me back there. That's okay. People might have to actually use their Bibles. That's all right. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to close with this. 
Are you there? Genesis 45. You guys may be able to bring that up. <clears throat> I, I, want, I just got to remind you where we're at. This is at the point where Joseph has been in the palace now for some time, and his brothers come to Egypt. Why do his brothers come to Egypt? His brothers come to Egypt looking for food. They're about to run out of food, and their father, Jacob, says, you've got you to go, and you've got to get some food for us, because I don't know if we're, our family will survive. So we've got enough for right now, but you need to go and barter for food. Why? Because they were in a famine for seven years. And so we know that this was easy going on 20 years since Joseph had last seen his brothers or his brothers had last seen Joseph. Okay? You got the picture? And he comes in. He recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him because all you got to do is watch, you know, a Cecil B. DeMille movie or something like that, The Ten Commandments. And remember the, Jap- uh, the I almost said something else, the Egyptian like garb, you know, they would put on the hats and they would put the makeup on and they'd have all that. They, they didn't recognize him. They didn't, they didn't know who he was. They hadn't seen him since he was 18 years old. And here he is now, a man. He's got a wife, he's got children, he's got a life in Egypt. And can I just go ahead and say it for Joseph? It's a pretty good life. I mean, honestly, it's a pretty good life. There's, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us or shows us that Joseph abandoned his belief in God, his love of God, nothing. There were times when he didn't understand, but how many of you know that you can still love God and still not understand? And here he is now. His life is pretty good. The whole world is coming to him. And he gives glory to God, but come on, he's got the best job on the planet right now. He's second in command only to Pharaoh, which also means he's the second richest person in the world at this point. Not a bad gig, right? I mean, and he is distributing grain to people like Jeff Bezos is distributing goods to us on Amazon. I mean, this guy is just getting it out there. And he's, everybody's coming to him. Everybody's searching him on the internet and looking him up and, and they're talking about him and he's in People magazine and he's in all of this, but he's not Joseph. He's his Egyptian name, which is a name I, I'm not going to talk about right now. And here he is and his brothers walk in the room a few chapters before this and he recognizes them and he goes, oh my goodness. And he deals with that and that's all about character. We talked about that last week. But look at Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. This is this at this point has gone on for weeks, possibly even months after he had first first met his brothers. Says Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Wow. They were like, wait a minute, this guy's rock solid. I mean, you got to think about it. All these attendants, they don't know Joseph as a prisoner or somebody in a pit. They just know him as now their master. And here he's weeping so loudly that they all heard him and the news spread to Pharaoh's household. And Joseph said to his brothers, verse 3, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Wow. His first question 
was about his true identity. My father who loved me, who gave me the coat of many colors, who cherished me, who taught me everything I know. The reason I'm here, the reason I've even made it is because my father shared with me his God and now his God is my God. I know I may be reading some into that, but I don't think too much. His connection with his father was so strong. He just wanted to know, is he still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You realize the dream came true now, right? They're all bowing down to him. And he's standing up in front of them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Here it is. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow. Do you know how I know that Joseph developed his character so well? That God developed Joseph's character so well? Because even in this moment of turmoil, he recognized why God had placed him where he did. What a gift. He was on the other side of the proverbial storm. And he could look back and recognize all I've been through for the last 20 years was to bring me to this place, this time, this hour. And I love the way the scripture says it because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Watch this. Keep reading verse 6. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Wow. Do you feel what he's saying at this point? He literally is saying, God sent me here. He put me in a a pit. I'll keep it at that. He put me in a pit. You thought you put me in the pit, but God put me in the pit. God caused you to do this so that I would be in that pit. Then God took me out of the pit, and then he sold me into slavery. He wouldn't let you murder me. So he sold me into slavery. And then I got sold to a man. And that man, while in his house, I begin to grow. Things begin to happen. And then that man's wife wanted me. And that man, that woman, she was evil. And I would not bow. I would not give in. I had character that I was given by God and was passed down to me through the stories of my father. But I would not give in to her advances. And so therefore, I was thrown into prison and falsely accused. And I was rotting there until God began to bring me back up. Even in the prison, I took a place of leadership. And then this baker, and he began to tell him the whole story. I want you to say this with me, but God. Come on, say this with me, but God. But God sent me ahead of you. He said, so it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. 
He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. And he began to talk about all of that. He began to tell them, God did this so that you could be saved. He sent me here to save lives. Can I ask you a question? Could it be that the reason you're in the place you're in now is because God is setting you up to do something for Him that's great? And Can I just say this? Greatness doesn't mean that you've got some big platform with a bunch of people in front of you. Greatness can mean you're raising up your kids that may be on that platform. Greatness could mean that you're, you're influencing your grandchildren, you're influencing your nieces and nephews, you're influencing the next generation. It may be that God has set you up because your boss needs to come to Christ. Can I tell you, there's no greater privilege, there's no greater honor than to win souls for Christ. If we were to go back, and I'm not going to take you there because I'm going to close here, but if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 10, what would you find? Why were they raising the dead? Why were they healing the sick? Why were they proclaiming the kingdom of God? It was because God loves the whole world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the message of the kingdom. To proclaim the message of the kingdom was not to say, hey, we're going to get rid of the Romans and we're going to occupy. No, it was to say there's a better life. God has given you a better life and he's given it to you and now he's given his son so that you might know Jesus, so that you might know the Father, so that you might find salvation, so that you might find forgiveness. Because how many of you know the Bible also says that it would be better to limp into heaven than to go whole into hell? To paraphrase on what Jesus said. It's better that even if I die of sickness here on earth, that if I die with sickness, but I have Jesus in my heart, on the other side, in a blink of an eye, I'm going to be completely whole in heaven. It's better for that than to be the most fit person on the, in the world and to die by a bus hitting you and going straight to hell. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter if you own billions of dollars if the rest of your afterlife, which is going to be billions and billions of years, you burn in eternity. I believe what God is saying to us is it really goes back to that home plate, your calling who God has called you to be. He's called you, first of all, son or daughter. He's called you son or daughter. Second of all, he's called you his own, his own disciple. Then he's called you to do something about it, to do something with the authority, to do something with what you've been given. And as we enter in 2019, I want us to hit some home runs. Come on.
Can I describe to you what a home run is? A home run is a child coming to faith in Christ. That's a win. A home run is a teenager surrendering their life to Christ. That's a home run. A home run is a senior who thought that they'd wasted their whole life coming to Christ and finding new life. Come on, somebody. Those are home runs. A home run is a family coming to Christ, finally coming back home, finally coming to that place that they had wandered from so long ago, but now they're coming back to Christ. That's a home run. Those are home runs that we need to begin to look for. Those are home runs we need to begin to pray for, begin to seek God for and say, God, if I'm going to go out, then I want to heal the sick. I want to raise the dead. I want to do all these things, but with the ultimate goal of being, bringing people to Christ. I'm going to tell you two quick stories. Really not so much stories, but just examples. When, when we go on missions trips, especially when we go to Central America, it's so much fun. When we go to Spain, it's going to be a lot of fun. But there's a purpose why we're going. And I know that when we go to Central America and any missions trip I've ever been on, there's been a purpose. It hasn't been to go and have a good time. That happens, but that's not been the purpose. When we go to Central America, what we do is we will go out into the streets and we will act like complete crazy people. Like if you were to do this in some streets in America, they, you might get shot. I don't know. But out there, if you go out and the music is loud and the people are dancing and the, you know, everything's going on, what happens is you draw a crowd. Why? Because in many of the communities we go in, nothing happens except bad things. So when music is happening, it's like a party. It's like a party atmosphere. How many of you know hell, or, uh, how many of you know hell is not going to be a party? Come on. But heaven is. The world has that wrong. The world has said, oh, yeah, at least if I go to hell, I'm going to party with my friends. No, you're not going to party with your friends. You're going to burn with your friends, right? That's not a party in my estimation. Your eyes boiling out of your head over and over through eternity, that's just not my idea of a party, right? Not yours either. But in heaven, there is going to be a party. How many of you know the first thing Jesus has set up for us when we get to heaven is what? A feast. Now, that sounds like my party. The marriage supper of the Lamb, it's going to be a party. And so what do we do in the streets of El Salvador, Nicaragua, Central America? We go and we set up a party. And then we invite the kids to come, invite people to come. And they do, and they come. They come out of no... I've, I've been in the middle of Nicaragua, in the mountains of Nicaragua, in, in, a, in a, literally a village where, with my own eyes, I can only see about 12 dwelling structures, 12 houses, and a huge field. And they're like, or I'm like, when do we get to the village? This is it. Wow. There's 12 houses here. All right, it's going to be a small-time thing. This is awesome. And we start doing the music, and 150 kids came out. <laughs> so where did you kids come from? I mean, this is the best thing. They came from everywhere. They came from the hills. They came from the trees. They came from the few little houses. They came from everywhere. And then we set it up. And then somewhere through the program, the first part of the program is a lot of fun. And throughout the program, we're giving testimonies. We're talking about Jesus. We're sharing the gospel. And then there's a point when they say to the kids, how many of you have a sickness or your mom is sick or your dad is sick? They've even gotten to the point of saying if your dog is sick or your cat is sick or your bird is sick, especially in these villages, they'll have these little animals, little squirrels and all kinds of stuff that they've trained. And they bring them out 
And they'll even say, if you want, go get them. And they bring them out. And then guess what we do? We pray for the sick. And can I tell you something? Kids get healed right there. Grandmas and grandpas get healed. Animals get healed. You could put that wherever your theology wants to put it. But animals get healed. And you know what happens? The next prayer is for salvation. Why? Because they've heard the message. They've seen it demonstrated. Now they're ready to receive. Can I tell you, your coworker, they may not be willing or ready to listen to the full gospel. But when you find out they're sick or they share with you about something and you say, I'm going to pray for you. Can I tell you, they may take a notice when they get healed. Hello? You're looking at me like I'm crazy today. Come on. The second example is our good friend that I won't mention his name now because we're live. One of the missionaries that we support in a sensitive nations, he goes into all kinds of nations. We just got his newsletter. They're great newsletters. He always tells stories, but he tells stories of how, especially at Christmas time, they will go in and they will take gifts into villages. And these villages, how you get to them is you drive by car until the road ends. Then you get on a motorbike or a motorcycle until the road ends for a motorcycle, until it gets too bad for that. Then you backpack in. And so after you've backpacked in five or six hours, one of the stories was uh, from the most recent newsletter that it was getting dark by the time they got there. But when they got to this village, the children began to come out and so much because it was exciting. Again, nobody ever comes to see us. And one of the uh, evangelists that our missionary trains, he said he was so exhausted after this all-day travel to get to this village that he laid down. And he said, just give me a few minutes to take a nap. And he laid down to take a nap, and he had a, he had a notebook with him. And on the notebook, there was a cross on the, on the spine of it. And the children said, what is that? He said, it's a, it's a book where I write. Now they said, no, what is that? And they pointed to the cross. We've never seen that. And he said, as he was laying down, get this, as he's laying down, He shares the basic message of the cross. And kids get saved. Before they left the village, 45 or 50 people, I can't remember the exact number, of villagers came to Christ. Can I tell you, God wants to do that in America. With all of the televisions, with all of the ministries out there, with all of that, how many of you know our country is still in need of the pure gospel? It's out there, but people aren't tuning in. And God has designed you to go to them. He's designed me to go to them. I want you to stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Caleb, would you mind just coming and playing? Jesus, we just come before you right now. Holy Spirit, I know you had a different plan. I felt it for several days. But I didn't know quite what it was until this morning. 
God, you are challenging us today to not keep this light in, to not hold the salt back. God, you're calling us to go out and wherever we go to pray for the sick, to minister life, to proclaim the kingdom, to see the dead raised from death unto life, from darkness into light. God, and if you give us the opportunity to pray for someone that's physically dead, we'll pray for them. God, I pray that today that you would impart boldness in the name of Jesus. Boldness in the name of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I do this because I don't want this to be influenced. I don't want you to be influenced by crowd mentality. How many of you be willing and humble enough to say, I don't see the stuff being done in my life. This stuff talked about in Matthew chapter 10. I don't see it being done, but I really desire for God to do that through me. And you'd be willing to raise your hand and say to God, God, I want to surrender my heart, my life, whatever it takes. The disciples I know gave up everything. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see the stuff happen that happened in the New Testament. God, I want to see it happen in me and through me. God, so as I raise my hand, I surrender to you. And I say I'm willing to follow you, to heed the call. God, in my workplace, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my community. God, I want to do this stuff. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, would you just lift your hands up, everyone in the room? Would you say, Father, I surrender to you. God, those that raise their hand, Lord. God, I just plead your blood over them because I know the enemy wants to come and steal the seed of the word today with all kinds of stuff. But, Lord, we surrender to you right now. God, we surrender to you. For those who aren't ready to to answer the call, to answer that call, to go to the lost, God, I pray that you would continue to draw them by your spirit and by your power. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for moms and dads in this place. Lord, that we would be willing and able, God, that we would be willing to surrender to you, to see our kids truly know you and truly be trained in the word of God and then spiritual things, God. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would raise up an army of kids, an army of sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, God, that will go into this nation, that will go to the nations and see your kingdom come and your will be done. God, we're willing. God, I pray 
for those right now in this room. God, for those young people, Lord, for our children, for our teenagers, our college students, God. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would get a hold of their heart in these years. God, that they would see where they are as a mission field. God, and that they would be bold as a lion. Hallelujah, that the lion of the tribe of Judah would roar in their bones, God. God, I pray for all in this room, all of us, God. God, that as we surrender to you, God, that we would begin to see people come to Christ this year. God, we have family members, we have friends, we have neighbors. We have people that we run into at work and in, at the marketplace, God. God, let us be that light. Help us to step into those times, those situations. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I know not, I, I know that you may not feel like you can do this, but I want you to speak to God on behalf of a New Day Church right now whether you're an official partner or you're a regular attender, don't, don't look at it that way. Would you just come as a representative of this body of believers right now? And would you come into agreement with me? God, we just come before you, and as a church body, we recommit ourselves to the Great Commission. God, we say that we will do whatever we can in your power, in your strength, in your authority to reach the lost in our local community, God. God, that we will be a light in our community, that we will be points of light in every neighborhood that we live in, every apartment complex. God, wherever we are, Lord, we will be points of light in that place. We recommit ourselves to the Great Commission to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. God, whether by going like we're going this summer, God, whether by sending other missionaries, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. We recommit ourselves to the Great Commission. God, but we will not be satisfied any longer with just sending money. God, send us. Send us. Send us. Lord, like the little boy in the mission service so many years ago, as the offering plate came by after the great after the great missionary shared about going into a nation and giving towards that, God, as this child recognized he had no money, God, as the offering plate came to him, he put it on the ground, he stepped in it, and he said, God, send me. I will be that offering. God, we are the offering today. We lay our lives down. We lay our lives down. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. We commit our church. We commit our family. We commit our lives. To you, Lord. Shoot.